It's time for the Tri-County Equipment Get Stuck on Sports Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dennis Stuckey and Brady Beaton. Well, uh, sort of. Uh, Brady's not uh, here uh, today. He's uh, taking some much-deserved time off. Uh, he did, uh, after all, work uh, 119 games for me uh, during the uh, high school season. Uh, and, and not that uh, I'm counting, but because Brady's so competitive, I'm going to point out that I did 127, and I'm here today. But actually, um, Brady has had to do some uh, podcasts on his uh, own uh, uh, this year as well uh, when I was away doing some uh, stuff for the business. But uh, at any rate, it's just me today. Uh, it's a Friday. Uh, I couldn't scrounge up any guests, and I just decided um, that we'll have a little fun with you and we'll see how this uh, goes. I've been broadcasting for 30 years. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm old. Um, I admit it. Uh, and over the years, uh, I've, I've done a lot of stuff, most of it during my career broadcasting minor league hockey. And people have often told me that I need to write a book. Uh, and uh, I don't know that I ever will because I don't think I have the patience for it. Uh, and plus, as the years go by, my memory is not as good as it used to be. Uh, so a lot of the really good uh, stories um, I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> the other part of it is is the stories that you would really want in the book. Yeah, I, I have to protect the guilty. So uh, probably never going to write the book. But what I will do is tell you some uh, fun uh, stories. Uh, so uh, sit back. Uncle Dennis is going to do story time when we come back on this edition of the Get Stuck on Sports Tri-County Equipment Podcast. When you run with us on a Gator UTV, the engine has your full attention. The herd takes notice, and the trail meets its match. Because with effortless four-wheel drive and our smoothest shifting transmission yet, nothing runs like a deer. Search John Deere Gator for more. Contact one of Tri-County Equipment's 10 locations in Bad Axe, Birch Run, Burton, Carrow, Fenton, Lapeer, Marlette, Reese, Saginaw, or Sandusky, or visit Tri-County Equipment online at tricountyequipment.com. Marshall E. Campbell Company, located in Port Huron, is a full-line distributor of industrial cutting tools, fluid power, electrical tools, and other electrical supplies, providing utility and contract-based services for more than 100 years. The company has a wide range of products that includes abrasives, automotives, ballast and lamps, boxes and closures, building products, chemicals and lubricants, electrical fittings and equipment, janitorial equipment, wire devices, and tapes and safety products. Marshall E. Campbell Company, located at 2975 Lapeer Road, or call them at 800 250-7520. Buying or selling a home? You need an experienced company standing ready to help you with all your real estate needs who is committed to making you the client number one. O'Connor Realty hung out its real estate sign in the city of Marysville almost 40 years ago to help the good people of this community buy and sell their homes. O'Connor Realty provides access to free, no obligation home valuation reports prepared by a licensed realtor with no hidden fees. Located at 2801 Gratiot Boulevard, Marysville, give O'Connor Realty a call at 810-364-8700. For all your real estate needs, O'Connor Realty, small enough to know you, large enough to serve you. If your windows stick, (laughs) slip, (laughs) squeak, or leak, 
Replace them with Anderson windows with low E-glass, low-maintenance exteriors, and rich wood interiors, standard and custom sizes. They can turn simple window replacement into serious home improvement. Ah. Hi, Chip Mortimer here, inviting you to experience the difference at Mortimer Lumber. Our expert staff will be here to help before, during, and after the sale. Stop by Mortimer Lumber, 24th and Lapeer Avenue in Port Huron. Hey guys, Brady Beaton here to let you know that TP Logos is now at their brand new location. Now located at 901 Michigan Avenue in Marysville, TP Logos has the largest in-stock selection of your team's spirit wear. While the location has changed, the service has not. They still will handle all of your custom screen printing and embroidery needs. Check out tplogos.com to see their vast selection of products, including Badger Sportswear, Nike, North Face, Richardson Hats, Carhartt, and more. Don't wait weeks for your gear. Get it in days with TP Logos. Michaels, your dealer for the people. Dennis, what are you doing? I'm trying to do a commercial for Michaels Car Center, but there's so much they do. Like what? Well, they do sales, service, and rentals. They have a body shop. They buy used vehicles. They'll beat or match any deal. Plus, there's guaranteed credit approval. Wow, I knew Michaels Car Center has been the area's hometown dealer for 35 years, but with all that, Michaels really is your dealer for the people. Michaels Car Center, 4371 24th Avenue, Fort Open 8 to 6 weekdays, 9 to 3 on Saturdays. Michael's your dealer for the people. Start strengthening your finances. Transfer your loan to Advia and we'll cut your rate in half. Plus, make zero payments for 90 days. Members who transfer save an average of $3,400. For stronger savings, visit adviacu.org. Advia Credit Union. Real advantages for real people. Not valid on credit card, secure real estate, or commercial loans. Interest accrues at loan disbursement. Estimated 2019 member savings, effective July 1st, 2020. Subject to approval and to change any time. Floor rates and restrictions apply. Equal opportunity lender. DuraClean by Bachelor has been faithfully serving the Blue Water area for over 25 years. Whether you are commercial or residential, if you need carpet cleaning, stain removal, upholstered furniture, drapery, or air duct cleaning, call DuraClean by Bachelor at 810-982-7044 and talk to Mike about their aerated foam process that allows carpet and furniture to dry quickly. From pet stains to odor removal to water damage cleaning and restoration, there's only one call you need to make. DuraClean by Bachelor, 810-982-7044. 44 Duraclean by Bachelor. If you're not listening to GetStuckOnSports.com, that's a personal foul. Your kids, your schools, your sports. All right, uh, let's uh, set this uh, up. Uh, and uh, again, forgive me if it's a little echoey in here today. It just does. It seems like it's super echoey in the room. Maybe it's because Brady's not here. Um, Breathing up all the uh, the air and and yelling at me, um, no, actually, <clears throat> Brady's a pretty good guy to work with. We'll we'll have to tell some Brady stories uh, on on another uh, podcast uh, that when he's not around. But um, all right, uh, so let's let's give you a, a brief preface to this uh, and how it all got started for me. Um, so out of high school, I was pretty much done with school. I didn't want to go to college. I was schooled out. So instead, uh, I went to work at, at a department store, which doesn't exist anymore because, like I said before, uh, I'm old. It was called Crowley's. Um, and I worked at a couple of different Crowley stores, and I unloaded trucks uh, and stock merchandise. And I knew it wasn't what I wanted to be doing for the rest of my life. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then one day I heard a commercial on the radio while I was working in the back unloading a truck 
and it was for the Specs Howard School of Broadcasting, and it was a nine-month course. And I thought, okay, I can go to school for nine months and tolerate it. So I went to night school at Specs Howard, worked for Crowley's during the day, went to night school at uh, Specs uh, Howard, and in nine months I graduated, and they actually helped me get my first job. Um, and I ended up getting a job in a little town called Carroll, Michigan, which isn't too, too far from uh, here, the seat of Tuscola County. They're very proud of the fact, too, in uh, Carroll that the town was supposed to be called Cairo. The, the founders of the town were going to name it Cairo, and the knucklehead filling out the paperwork to make it a town spelt it wrong, left the I out, and it became Caro, and when they realized the mistake, it was too late, and then they didn't want to change it anyways. They just said, okay, we'll, we'll call it Caro. But they're very proud of that fact, and some of the restaurants in that town, at least when I was working there, uh, and I started in the fall of 1991. Yeah, like I said, I'm old. Um, they, they would put it on, on the, like the placemats in the restaurants, the story of how Cairo became Caro, and they're quite – proud of the fact that their idiot founding father didn't know how to spell Cairo. Uh, anyways, I, I digress. Um, I originally got into radio because I have a passion for music. I didn't get into radio to be a sports guy. Um, and the station in Cairo was perfect for me. Uh, the FM station was a classic rock station. We played Led Zeppelin, The Doors, The Who, Pink Floyd, Black Sabbath, Deep Purple. It was perfect for me and my world. Um, And I worked there not even one full day. (laughs) And um, the guy who was doing sports couldn't make it into work. It was a Friday. My My first day was a Friday. Uh, I had been in like the weekend before to train so that I knew what I was supposed to do when I came in on Friday. And and originally I worked Friday, Saturday, Sundays, and I was just supposed to play music on the FM. And once an hour I went into an AM studio and read the news for five minutes at the top of the hour and then let that station run itself because it was all satellite programming and and we did the music over on the uh, FM uh, live. And... On Friday nights, they simulcast high school football. Who doesn't, especially in a small community like that? Um, and that night, the, the, like I say, it was my first night. So I had been trained just to how to get the game on the air and run the game and play the commercials for the guy when he called for breaks and all of that. Uh, and it ends up that he couldn't come in, so the boss didn't want to go out and do the football game. So he sent me. Uh, and he stayed back, and he put the game on the air and ran all the commercials for me. And I went over to the little neighboring town of Reese and uh, did uh, having – I mean, I had some idea. I wasn't completely oblivious to sports. I grew up in a sports family. My dad was a high school coach. Um, he coached football, girls' basketball, baseball, track, swimming – uh, he was in the Catholic League for years before I was born, uh, and then he worked in the uh, Detroit Public School Leagues. He coached at Southwestern, 
and he uh, coached uh, at Detroit Denby uh, and was around for a long, long time. He was also head of the Sterling Heights uh, uh, Rec Officials, um, whatever you call it, organization or association. So he scheduled referees to go around and do, um, you know, rec league basketball around the city of uh, Sterling Heights. So he had me refing basketball while I was in high school so that, uh, you know, I had some, some spending money. He'd go out and give me five, six games a week. He probably overworked me for whatever the laws were, but I didn't mind it because it was, to me, it was easy money. Um, you got paid, uh, I, I don't exactly remember what we got paid, but you get paid pretty good money to, to do this stuff. And when you're at 16 years old, yeah, it, it was the life. Go out and referee some, some little nine-year-olds playing basketball uh, in, a, in a grade school uh, gym, uh, do three games, uh, make uh, over $100 in one night, and yeah, and do that a couple of times a week. I was living good uh, as, a, as a high school kid and a, and a young adult. But anyways, so I, I knew about sports. I'd watched a lot of sports. I liked sports, but I really got into radio for the music. But on the first night, I end up in Reese doing a, a football game between Reese and Unionville Seaboing. Game was a total blowout. I think the final score was 44-8 to eight, uh, for Unionville Seaboing. But apparently, I did a good job. Because when I got back to the station that night after doing the game, the boss was waiting for me, which is never a good sign. Like, you know, your first night on the job, you're thinking, oh, geez, uh, I'm already getting fired. Uh, but actually, he said, you're going to do that from now on. And I said, what, the, the football? He said, you're going to do all our sports from now on. And that's kind of how I got started into it. It wasn't what I went there to do. But it just on the first night it happened, I had to do it. Boss thought I was good at it, so I kept doing it. Uh, and eventually, I ended up in Saginaw. And after I worked in Saginaw for a couple of years, got the opportunity to come to Port Huron uh, around 19, the end of 1994, beginning of 1995. Um, and, uh, and that's really when things took off for me. Now, we did high school sports, and I did a lot of high school sports. But primarily, when I got here to Port Huron, uh, I, I did high school hockey the first winter I was here. Uh, and the boss at the radio station here in town at that time was uh, Larry Smith, um, who originally I didn't like working for at all. But after working for him for 20 years, um, and Larry passed away a few years ago, you would not believe how much I miss Larry Smith. Uh, and, and what an influence in my broadcasting career he was. So anyways, um, we got a minor league hockey team here in uh, Port Huron the second winter I was in town. 1996, they were called the Port Huron Border Cats. It was a big deal at the time because they had not had hockey in Port Huron professionally for 19 years. The old Original Port Huron flags had folded in the early uh, 80s. Um, and they, they had tried in the late 80s to bring a, a team in, and it didn't work out. Uh, they were in a small league called the All-American Hockey League. They called themselves the Clippers, and it just didn't really work out. And, and most people in town didn't even remember the attempt that the, that the Clippers had even played. So th this had been 19 years. 
Um, and a lot of the old flag fans were just rabid for hockey. Uh, and this, this team came in calling themselves the Port Huron Border Cats. They actually had relocated from Fraser, Michigan, where they had been known as both the Michigan Falcons and the Detroit Falcons. And then they became the, the Border Cats. Uh, and Larry immediately worked out a deal with the team to get the broadcasting rights for the radio stations. Uh, and he said, Stuck, I want you to, to, to do this. And he had worked with Mike Emmerich a little bit. And so he wanted me to do everything the way Mike Emmerich did it, which is an impossibility. You can't duplicate what Mike Emmerich does. Um, and, and it was a little intimidating meeting and talking to Mike the first few times. But he's such a nice guy, and he just makes it so easy to have a conversation with him. Uh, and he is really one of the most genuine people that I have ever met. I am honored that he actually put my name in his book. Uh, it's the very last page, and it just says Dennis Stuckey Port Huron, but it's a thank you from Doc to the people who are out there that help him or that he feels help him by giving him information. Doc will call, hey, what's going on with this in Port Huron? What's going on with that? What, what, what happened in Silverstick? Uh, is there anything interesting going on that I need to talk about during my broadcast? Because he loves talking about the places he's been uh, and the people that he knows because um, uh, he really considers uh, Port Huron uh, one, of his, one of his many homes. But anyways, again, I'm kind of getting off track here. But he wanted me to, to do the games a lot like Doc. I couldn't, but Doc helped me a lot in becoming myself. Um, and I, I did my first pro hockey game uh, the, for the, the Border Cats. They actually played their first game of the, uh, the season at home here at McMoran Arena, which is where we do the podcast from, if you didn't know that. And they played a team called the Quad City Mallards, and it didn't go so good. In fact, the start of my broadcasting uh, career, as far as minor league pro hockey goes, didn't go so well. Um, the, the, the team didn't win its first six games of its history. We ended up having a winning season the first year, but we didn't win our first six games, and they were all pretty ugly. The, the first night at McMorrin, border cat, full house. The, they, we were stuffed to the rafters at McMorrin for that uh, first uh, game. Uh, and a guy named John Batten for Quad City, who was a, a, an offensive defenseman, ended up scoring three goals, and the Mallards won 6-3, to three, and the final score wasn't even that close. Uh, the, the border cats got a couple of uh, late goals. To, to make that look uh, interesting. Uh, the next night, we had to get on the bus and travel to Brantford, Ontario, to play the Brantford Smoke. And they had a guy named Paul Palillo, who was a minor league Wayne Gretzky. And he pumped four goals in on us in Brantford. So we play Friday night at home, lose 6-3. to three. Go to Brantford, play Saturday night, lose there 7-3. to three, I think, was the final score of that game. And then we turned around Sunday night, and played Brantford again at McMorrin, and a guy named Jason Brousseau scored three goals, and they beat us 7-2, to two. so it's opening weekend. We get outscored 20-8 to eight in three games and give up three hat tricks, including a four-goal game, and you're thinking, wow. <laughs> Hope it's not like this the rest of the season, and everybody kept ensuring me, no, 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 it'll get better. We have a good team here. We have a good team here. So the second weekend, 
we have four games and four nights. We have a Thursday home game against Flint, and it's actually a good game. The guys practiced. The, the coach was Dave Cameron, and after losing the first three games the way we did, he worked them hard for the few days of practice we had before that Thursday game. And it's 3-3, three to three, and I get to see this brand-new thing because it wasn't a thing in the NHL yet. It, it was just starting in the minor leagues, specifically in this league, which at the time they called themselves the Colonial Hockey League. It eventually became the United Hockey League. Shootout. It was five rounds, and it was very exciting for the fans, except on this night we had the shortest shootout in the history of shootout uh, at that time. Again, it was five rounds. After three rounds, the shootout was over because the first three Port Huron guys missed and the first three Flint guys scored, and we lost the game four to three. Then on Friday night, we had to play uh, in Flint. At that time, it was still the IMA Sports Arena, and it was jam-packed because at that time, Flint had a really great team. They were defending cup champs, uh, and uh, they had a guy named Kevin Kerr who was pretty good, and he pumped in three goals, and they beat us 8-2. to two. So now we're 0-4-1 to start the season, but Coach is optimistic because we're getting on the bus and we're going to Dayton to play Saturday night. This is going to be the first home game in the franchise history of the Dayton Ice Bandits. So sold-out building down at Hera Arena in Dayton, uh, the, and and they come out sky high. We have a line brawl to start the game um, uh, the, because they wanted to get the crowd fired up, so they put five goons out on the ice to start the game, uh, and we had a big five-on-five fight, uh, and uh, at one point, one of the players for Dayton, Richard Borgo, picked up a hockey stick and held it up like a tomahawk and started chasing guys around the ice with it. Uh, and uh, two Border Cat guys, Garen Smith and uh, Chad uh, Cabana, who were two pretty big dudes who, were, who had been sent down from the American League to uh, help us get on track because we'd lost the first uh, four games to start the, the season, or actually five games to start the season. And, and they beat up uh, Richard Borgo so bad that he, he, he never played again. Um, they got a hold of him down around the, along the boards, uh, and they just they just kicked the snot out of him, uh, and he never played again. Um, meantime, though, a guy named Sean Ortiz pumped in three goals on us, and we lost in Dayton seven to three. So we're oh five and one to start the season. We're, we're giving up tons of goals. Um, that would be one of the rare wins for Dayton in their one season of existence. They only won thirteen times, and three of their thirteen wins were against Port Huron. Go figure. Uh, but uh, anyways, we finally came home on the Sunday of that second weekend, fourth game in four days with travel, and Garen Smith scored a hat trick, and we finally beat uh, Muskegon 6-3 to three for the first uh, win, and then things got better after that. But that first year was wild. Uh, I mentioned that we had the, the brawl in uh, Dayton. We had two other brawls that uh, season. We had one in Quad City where uh, we had just gotten on our way to Quad Cities. We had to stop at Metro Airport and pick up a goalie uh, who had been sent to us from uh, the International Hockey League. team in Las Vegas was affiliated with the Border Cats, and they sent us a little goalie named Igor Karpenko. He was from Kiev in the Ukraine, uh, and, uh, and he didn't speak a word of uh, English unless there was a pretty girl in the room. Then all of a sudden he knew how to make full sentences. But when it was just the guys and the coaches, he didn't speak a word of English. 
<laughs> so he gets on the bus, uh, and we ride to Quad City, which is about a 14-hour bus ride. Uh, and, and we get out, and uh, we, we start the game in Quad City. It's the first shift of the game. Now, they didn't throw Igor in goal. They started our other goalie, Kevin Butt, but the, they face off the puck. The puck is dumped into the Port Huron zone. It comes off the end boards close enough to Kevin Butt where he can reach out with his glove, smother the puck, get a whistle, and a guy from Quad City comes in, kicks a little ice up on onto the goalie. So Kevin Butt's a fiery kind of guy. So he just decides to take his goalie stick and spear the guy in the groin, and all hell breaks loose, and we end up with a five-on-five fight uh, off to in the face-off circle in the Port Huron zone that goes on for you know, 20, 30 minutes. Uh, and when it's all said and done, Port Huron gets three players ejected from the game. And Quad City doesn't get anybody thrown out of the game, surprisingly enough, even though they were doing as much fighting as we were. Uh, and one of them is the goalie, Kevin Butt. So we're, we're about uh, 10 seconds into the game, and Igor Karpenko, who's never practiced with us, doesn't know anybody's name, can't speak a word of English, he has to go in goal right away. Well, fortunately, he understood how to stop the puck, and he just played a fantastic game, and it was a great game in Quad City, and they were a really tough team to beat. They ended up going on to win the championship that year. But the game ends in a tie, 2-2, two to two, so we go to shootout. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my shootout experience originally was three rounds and it was over, and we got smoked. This shootout ended up being the longest shootout in the history of shootout at that time. Now, there have been longer shootouts since, but this shootout went um, 16 rounds. And the rule was everybody had to take a turn before anybody could go a second time. Well, we had had extra guys thrown out at the beginning of the game, so we were done with our players before Quad City was done with all of theirs. And, and, and of course, you're, you're, you're going to save your worst guys, least likely guys to score for last. So Quad City's last guy hadn't gone yet, and he was a terrible player. He, he was just there as, as a fighter. He could barely skate. And he obviously went in and had a, uh, a, you know, a miserable time trying to score a goal. But we were out of shooters before he shot, so we got to start recycling. So, of course, we went right back to the top of our batting order and put our best shooter out on the ice, which happened to be Bobby McKillop. He went in and scored, gave us the lead in the 16th round of the shootout, 2-1, to one, and they had to put – uh, this guy on the ice who could barely skate. He was dragging his knuckles behind him. And, of course, he didn't even hit the net with his shot, and we ended up winning the game 2-1. to one. And I remember them being quite uh, upset with us in Quad City uh, that night because that uh, is the way that game ended. And, 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 of course, we had a third brawl later in the year on Dollar Beer Night in Flint. There's a good idea. Let's serve Flint people dollar beers. Uh, on a on a Saturday night uh, hockey game with Port Huron in town, and a lot of Port Huron fans showed up. It was a sold out building. Everybody's drinking dollar beers. A fan jumps over the glass onto the ice. I'm not making this up. Okay, at that point because things were a little rowdy in Flint, the visiting uh, bench was kind of a dugout. They had glass over the top of the bench 
to prevent people from throwing their beers down, throwing pops, hot dog wrappers, popcorn, whatever they could get down on the visiting bench. It kind of protected them. But it also acted as a platform for this guy to run down the stairs, leap onto the top of the glass above the bench, and then leap onto the ice. And the guy landed. It was a perfect landing. He landed on his feet right next to a, a Port Huron player. The, the fight had already happened. Uh, the goalies fought. Everybody fought. And they were doing what they do at the end of hockey fights. Two guys were out there, from one from each team, sweeping gloves and sticks to each corner to make sure that their team got their stuff back uh, in the right order. And this guy landed right next to Savo Mitrovic, who was the player out there kind of keeping house for Port Huron. And Savo ended up rolling around on the ice with this guy for a few minutes. Security came out. They ended up, poor guy, they ended up handcuffing him to the Port Huron bench uh, and the Port Huron uh, trainer and equipment guy uh, were over there jabbing him with, with sticks and giving him a hard time. But I don't think he felt any of it because he was obviously gassed out of his mind on dollar beers. But uh, it was fun times to start my uh, broadcasting uh, career uh, in minor league uh, hockey, uh, and, and a lot of weird things uh, went on. Uh, and I'll continue to tell you some of the uh, the better stories and the ones that are, that are at least family, somewhat family-friendly uh, when we come back after the break. When you run with us on a Gator UTV, the engine has your full attention, the herd takes notice, and the trail meets its match. Because with effortless four-wheel drive and our smoothest shifting transmission yet... Nothing runs like a deer. Search John Deere Gator for more. Contact one of Tri-County Equipment's 10 locations in Bad Axe, Birch Run, Burton, Carroll, Fenton, Lapeer, Marlette, Reese, Saginaw, or Sandusky, or visit Tri-County Equipment online at tricountyequipment.com. Marshall E. Campbell Company, located in Port Huron, is a full-line distributor of industrial cutting tools, fluid power, electrical tools, and other electrical supplies, providing utility and contract-based services for more than 100 years. The company has a wide range of products that includes abrasives, automotives, ballast and lamps, boxes and closures, building products, chemicals and lubricants, electrical fittings and equipment, janitorial equipment, wire devices, and tapes and safety products. Marshall E. Campbell Company, located at 2975 Lapeer Road, or call them at 800 800- 250-7520. Neiman's Family Market, located in St. Clair, is family-owned and operated and involved in the community. Neiman's has created a shopping experience providing a variety of quality products, specialty items, with superior customer service. Whatever your grocery needs are, from meats, bulk food, bakery items, produce, or even floral, Neiman's Family Market has what you will need. Entertaining? Neiman's has a full deli, and they do party trays. Check out our new mobile website and see weekly specials, coupons, and recipes. Open 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. all week long. Visit Neiman's Family Market in St. Clair. You'll be glad you did. Feel more confident and in control of your financial life. Ameriprise Advisors can work with you to provide personalized, goal-based advice based on your short and long-term goals. Plus, you can track your investments and financial solutions with our digital tools and regular meetings. Call Ameriprise Financial Advisor Dave Betts today at 810-987-5370. That's 810-987-5370. Office is located at 527 Huron Avenue, Port Huron, Michigan. Ameriprise Financial Services. Services LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Start strengthening your finances. Transfer your loan to Advia and we'll cut your rate in half. Plus, make zero payments for 90 days. Members who transfer save an average of $3,400. For stronger savings, visit adviacu.org. Advia Credit Union, real advantages for real people. 
Not valid on credit card, secure real estate, or commercial loans. Interest accrues at loan disbursement. Estimated 2019 member savings, effective July 1st, 2020. Subject to approval and to change any time. Floor rates and restrictions apply. Equal opportunity lender. Having car trouble? Look no further than Marysville Goodyear. Located at 291 Range Road, Marysville Goodyear will take care of all your automotive needs. They know that just one visit to them will make you a customer for life. Whether it's a tune-up or tire rotation, consistency is the name of the game for the folks at Marysville Goodyear. Need tires? Marysville Goodyear is a certified dealer of Goodyear, Dunlop, and Kelly tires, and they stock tires for cars, trucks, SUVs, and more. Give them a call today at 810-364-4700. Marysville Goodyear, where your satisfaction is our game. Looking for that perfect first vehicle for your kid's sweet 16? Maybe you just want a quality vehicle at a fair price. Whatever your needs are, Jepson Car Company will take care of you. Located at 5277 Gratiot Avenue in St. Clair, Jepson has a wide variety of pre-owned vehicles that can fit your budget. With a great selection for first-time car buyers, check out their website at jepsoncarco.com. That's J-E-P-S-O-N car C-O.com. Or give them a call at 810-662-3048 to find the perfect ride. We welcome you to make Port Huron Schools your district of choice. Your child will experience an education with the most athletic, extracurricular, and academic opportunities in the region at Port Huron Schools. We specialize in providing personalized success for all students because each Port Huron Schools journey is unique and special. This year, more than ever, we truly appreciate our families and would like to thank them for their continued support. Please go to www.phasd.us and our social media for the latest updates on Port Huron Schools. If you're not listening to GetStuckOnSports.com, that's a personal foul. Your kids, your schools, your sports. So uh, I got traded once uh, as a broadcaster. Um, it was like this. I did my first three years here in Port Huron for the Border Cats. Uh, and then the owner of the Border Cats got a franchise in the American Hockey League in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and he took the Border Cats GM, Costa Papista, and moved him down to Louisville and put him in charge of running that franchise. And one of the first things he did was he took me down there to broadcast the, the games. So uh, my fourth year in minor league hockey and I was already in the American Hockey League one step away from the NHL boy how the mighty have fallen (laughs) but um, after uh, working in Louisville uh, Costa he saw the writing on the wall for that franchise pretty early with the way uh, the owner uh, Dr. Offer was running things or or not really running things, and he knew that franchise was in trouble. So he quickly got out of Dodge very early on in the first uh, season. And the new GM and I, eh, you know, we weren't – we didn't – I guess he just didn't like me, which, which is fine. Uh, and it wasn't that I wasn't doing a good job as a broadcaster. I just – I wasn't his buddy, and he had a buddy who was a broadcaster. Uh, and so things weren't going well off the ice – for the uh, the franchise on the ice, we were doing really good. Joe Patterson was our coach. We were affiliated with the Florida Panthers. We had a lot of good young uh, players, many of whom I am surprised didn't really make it in the NHL because we had a good young team. Our assistant coach was Gerard Gallant, who went on to uh, win a Stanley Cup as a head coach uh, in the NHL with uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, and he's a former Red Wing. Uh, and uh, 
uh, got along really well with uh, Joe and Jerry. In fact, Joe Patterson was a former Red Wing uh, as well. But uh, around Christmas time, things were going bad. They weren't selling enough tickets as far as Dr. Offer was concerned, and uh, we weren't getting enough publicity and so on and so on. So basically they fired the entire office staff, including me, right around Christmas time. So I ended up the next season looking for a job. And um, Costa Papista was going to, by that time, had moved up to Sudbury in the Ontario Hockey League, and he was going to bring me up to Sudbury to broadcast uh, his uh, games when he realized he had a buddy down in Lake Charles, Louisiana, who had a guy broadcasting his games who was a Canadian guy. And just from paperwork alone, me being an American working in Canada and he being Canadian and working in the U.S., it's kind of a paperwork nightmare. So they, the, the two GMs called each other, Costa and Greg Caparello, who was the GM down uh, in uh, Lake Charles, and they decided that uh, I'd go to Lake Charles and the guy that was down there would go on up to Sudbury, uh, and then the Canadian could work in Canada and the American could stay in America. And I ended up in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And let me tell you, was that ever an experience? I had a lady one day come over to watch practice. She was interested in buying tickets, but she wanted to see what it was all about. She came out and came to practice, and after about two minutes or so of, of watching, she asked me, how do they run so fast? out on the ice without slipping and falling. She did end up buying tickets, and I think she enjoyed the uh, the game and came back several times. But that's what you were dealing with down there. They really didn't know what they were watching, but they loved it when there was a fight, and they loved it when guys, like, crashed into the boards or, or threw, threw a check. That was the most fun that they had uh, at uh, a game. But Louisiana was, was an interesting place. Uh, One night we were playing a team from uh, Odessa, Texas, uh, and it was their only trip into town all season. Uh, And we went out there one time. They came to our place one time. Uh, And in the first period, we were just playing terrific. The Lake Charles Ice Pirates, we had the ugliest uniforms uh, in hockey because they were Mardi Gras colors. Uh, You can look up what Mardi Gras colors are and then try to picture what a jersey would look like uh, in Mardi Gras colors. But we were, we were just – we were a bad team, but we were just terrific that night. And we were killing them at the end of the first uh, period. We were up 2 nothing, and we were just all over them. Uh, the score could have been 8 to nothing at the end of the, the first. Uh, we were playing well. They were not. Intermission comes. They resurface the ice, blah, blah, blah. We're ready to start the second period. Our team comes out on the ice and starts skating around, getting ready for the period. But Odessa doesn't come out. Then all of a sudden I see our coach, Bob Mantha, poke his head out through the Zamboni gate and wave our guys off the ice. And so they exit the ice and go back into the locker room and and, and disappear out of sight. Everybody's kind of like, what in the world's going on? Why did Odessa not come out? Why did our guys just go back in? What's happening here? And about five minutes go by, no hockey players. All of a sudden, the guy comes over the, the PA, and this is in our, our home building, and he makes the announcement that they're going to exit fans from the building 
one section at a time and that they need everybody to cooperate and move quickly so that we can evacuate the building. So I'm thinking, fire? Something's going on uh, here, but they haven't given me any information. We had the building about halfway evacuated when a a kid finally ran up from downstairs with a sheet of paper that, that said, Stucks, end your broadcast. There's a bomb threat. We need you to get out of the building as fast as you can. Somebody had phoned in a bomb threat. And by the time the information had gotten up to me in the press box, there were already bomb squad people in the building with the, with the dogs trying to sniff out for explosives. And they, they, they got the people out. And, and so now we're all out of the building, and they're doing the, the inspection to try to find the bomb that's in the arena or supposedly is in the uh, arena. You've got the players. They, they've taken their skates off, but they still have all their equipment and gear on, and they're all kind of standing together. The fans are all out in the uh, parking lot. They're having, like, a, a big tailgate party because it, it is Louisiana, and, and this is kind of the mentality of, of the people there. They're, they're really great people, but they're, they're having a, a party. And in, in the meantime, we're standing next to a building that, for, for all we know, is going to blow up. Uh, finally, the, it got to be pushing 11 o'clock at night, and the Odessa coach, realizing that, that his team really wasn't playing all that well that night anyways, he didn't want to finish the game uh, and, and get stomped on. So even if they cleared the building to go, he was like he loaded his team on his bus and they took off down the road and went to the next place that they were going to play the next night. And we never did finish the game. They never did find a bomb, but <laughs> it was uh, uh, one of the things that has happened to me in my broadcasting career. I had to stop a broadcast and we had to uh, end a game after one period because of a bomb threat that ended up, thankfully, being a, a hoax. My other Lake Charles uh, uh, memory uh, was a promotion we tried to do that uh, completely backfired on us, and it was a shame because uh, we were going out of business. And I'm not going to get into the story of Skip Westfall, but uh, Skip Westfall was a fake owner who embezzled half the money in our franchise on opening night and took off, and we ran the team that year on half of our operating budget just out of necessity because uh, this guy had embezzled the money and then disappeared. He skipped Westfold and he skipped out of town. Um, and I don't think they ever did actually catch him. Um, and uh, and so to raise money, we, we had to be creative so that we could pay the bills, pay the players, keep the lights on, so on and, and so forth. And we weren't exactly selling out the arena because – when you're in money trouble, players that you pay a lot of money to tend to jump ship, go to other leagues, ask to be traded because they want to get paid their money. And so you end up with uh, players who will play for a lot less money, and the reason they pay for a lot, play for a lot less money is because they're not as good. Um, and uh, so one of the ideas that was actually my idea, uh, and I got it because uh, in, uh, we played in a place called Monroe, and Monroe were called the water moccasins. And every time they scored a goal, fans threw these plastic snakes out onto the ice to celebrate the goals. So I said, well, we're the ice pirates. 
what if we threw cannonballs out onto the ice after we scored goals? And we went around, and you know the stress balls that you squeeze? We found a company that made black stress balls. So looks like a cannonball. So the, the concept is this. Fans come in through the gate. You sell them a cannonball for a dollar. They get the cannonball. When we score a goal, you throw your cannonball out onto the ice. They send the kids and that out to collect them all in garbage cans, and then we wheel them back, and we give them, and we walk through the stands again, and we sell the cannonballs back to people for a dollar, and so that every time we score a goal that night, they throw the cannonballs on the ice, and you, re- you recollect, and you resell them. And if you get, let's let's just say, small numbers, and, and we were working in larger numbers than this because we were probably getting seven to 8,000 people a game. But let's just say you sell 1,000 uh, at a dollar each uh, and you score three goals that night, you could make about $3,000 just on that. And a box of like 500 of these things cost us like $100. So – over one weekend, we made quite a bit of money. We, we made like over 10 grand in the first weekend we did this. But by the end of the weekend, people were throwing the balls while play was going on. They were throwing them at the referees. They were throwing them at the other team's players. They were throwing them at the goalie. <laughs> and the league finally called us and said, uh, yeah, you have to stop that promotion. We don't care how much money that it's uh, making you. All right, uh, I got another segment to go, so I'll be back. Buying or selling a home? You need an experienced company standing ready to help you with all your real estate needs who is committed to making you the client number one. O'Connor Realty hung out its real estate sign in the city of Marysville almost 40 years ago to help the good people of this community buy and sell their homes. O'Connor Realty provides access to free, no-obligation home valuation reports prepared by a licensed realtor with no hidden fees. Located at 2801 Gratiot Boulevard, Marysville, give O'Connor Realty a call at 810-364-877. For all your real estate needs, O'Connor Realty, small enough to know you, large enough to serve you. Hi, Chip Mortimer here. So much depends on your roof. Mortimer Lumber proudly features the Landmark Series shingle from CertainTeed Roofing. Landmark shingles come in many colors to surely enhance the look of your home. Landmark shingles offer a limited lifetime warranty, so you can be assured your roof will last for generations to come. Stop by Mortimer Lumber at 24th and Lapeer in Port Huron. Our expert staff will be glad to help answer all of your questions. Mortimer Lumber has locations in Port Huron, Emily City, Sandusky, and Bad Axe. Neiman's Family Market, located in St. Clair, is family-owned and operated and involved in the community. Neiman's has created a shopping experience providing a variety of quality products, specialty items, with superior customer service. Whatever your grocery needs are, from meats, bulk food, bakery items, produce, or even floral, Neiman's Family Market has what you will need. Entertaining? Neiman's has a full deli, and they do party trays. Check out our new mobile website and see weekly specials, coupons, and recipes. Open 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. all week long. Visit Neiman's Family Market in St. Clair. You'll be glad you did. Michael's, your dealer for the people. Dennis, what are you doing? I'm trying to do a commercial for Michael's Car Center, but there's so much they do. Like what? Well, they do sales, service, and rentals. They have a body shop. They buy used vehicles. They'll beat or match any deal. Plus, there's guaranteed credit approval. Wow, I knew Michael's Car Center has been the area's hometown dealer for 35 years, but with all that, Michael's really is your dealer for the people. Michael's Car Center, 4371 24th Avenue, Fort Grant. 
Gratiot. Open 8 to 6 weekdays, 9 to 3 on Saturdays. Michaels, your dealer for the people. Overhead Door Company of St. Clair County has been serving the community for over 30 years. Located at 5400 Lapeer Road in Kimball, Overhead Doors are the premier choice for durability, serviceability, and hassle-free performance for commercial and industrial doors. Overhead Doors boasts a complete selection of performance and safety-tested commercial and industrial upward-acting doors and manufacture a wide array of styles to meet your needs. Overhead Door Company of St. Clair County, 5400 Lapeer Road in Kimball. Call 810 Hey guys, Brady Beaton here to let you know that TP Logos is now at their brand new location. Now located at 901 Michigan Avenue in Marysville, TP Logos has the largest in-stock selection of your team's spirit wear. While the location has changed, the service has not. They still will handle all of your custom screen printing and embroidery needs. Check out tplogos.com to see their vast selection of products, including Badger Sportswear, Nike, North Face, Richardson Hats, Carhartt, and more. Don't wait weeks for your gear. Get it in days with TP Logos. Having car trouble? Look no further than Marysville Goodyear. Located at 291 Range Road, Marysville Goodyear will take care of all your automotive needs. They know that just one visit to them will make you a customer for life. Whether it's a tune-up or tire rotation, consistency is the name of the game for the folks at Marysville Goodyear. Need tires? Marysville Goodyear is a certified dealer of Goodyear, Dunlop, and Kelly tires, and they stock tires for cars, trucks, SUVs, and more. Give them a call today at 810-364-4700. Marysville Goodyear, where your satisfaction is our gift. We welcome you to make Port Huron Schools your district of choice. Your child will experience an education with the most athletic, extracurricular, and academic opportunities in the region at Port Huron Schools. We specialize in providing personalized success for all students because each Port Huron Schools journey is unique and special. This year, more than ever, we truly appreciate our families and would like to thank them for their continued support. Please go to www.phasd.us and our social media for the latest updates on Port Huron Schools. If you're not listening to GetStuckOnSports.com, that's a personal foul. Your kids, your schools, your sports. So uh, one more uh, fun story from my my one season in uh, Lake uh, Charles. We had a Zamboni driver. His name was uh, Terry. Terry had actually uh, started driving Zambonis in the 60s when uh, he was from Minnesota, and he worked at the Met Center in Minnesota and when the Minnesota North Stars were a team in the uh, NHL. And he worked for the North Stars until they moved to Dallas. Um, and then a former North Star, Dennis Marook, got a job down in Lake Charles and through Dennis Marook. Terry ended up down in Lake Charles driving the Zamboni there. Uh, and he was a, a prankster. He liked to, to pull tricks on the guys, keep the guys loose. Uh, and one day before a, a practice, Terry snuck in there before any of the guys had shown up, uh, and he put shaving cream in all of their skate boots. So it's, you know, whatever. Nine o'clock in the morning, you're a hockey player, you're, you're drinking your first cup of coffee, you're, you're barely awake because you, you sleep until it's time to come to practice. And you're probably out late the night before because it wasn't a game night. Uh, but anyway, so you're, you're probably half hungover and half awake and it's a, a cold ice rink and then you stick your, your foot into your skate to put it on and it's filled with shaving cream. So needless to say, the boys weren't happy with Terry, um, who, who thought it was hilarious 
uh, and and was rolling around laughing, uh, proud of himself for a week after that. Well, the, the boys threw a party, and they decided to spike Terry's drinks at the party, and they got him pass out drunk, and they put him down to uh, bed, uh, and then they got out, uh, folks, like a couple of cartons of clear hockey tape, you know, the, the tape that guys will wrap over their socks around their, their shin pads to keep them in place and stuff like that. And they must have gone through 100 rolls. And they basically mummy-wrapped Terry to his bed. Like, and, I, and I'm being serious. From, from the shoulders down to his ankles, he was wrapped in tape, and they wrapped it all the way around the bed. So he's in the middle of the bed, and they'd start at one side, they'd tape across him, then they'd bring it down under the bed and tape underneath the bed and come back around, and they wrapped him up. They must have, like I say, they, they must have gone through almost 100 <laughs> rolls of tape, and, and, they, and they wrapped him up, and he woke up the next morning taped to this bed, unable to move, and they left him there for a couple of hours before they came back and, and cut him out. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Terry also got to dress one night. He was probably 58 years old, and he dressed as our backup goaltender for a road trip. We, we had a road game in uh, a place called Bossier Shreveport, uh, and we only had one goalie, and the league rules said you had to have two goalies dressed. So they dressed him. Terry couldn't skate. They dressed him in the goalie gear, and he kind of leaned against the boards during warm-up and didn't take any shots or anything like that, but he was in uniform, so we were by the guidelines, and then he thankfully sat on the, the bench the whole game, and nothing happened to our regular goalie. Uh, he played the whole game without getting hurt. But, uh, yeah, he was an interesting guy. Uh, bef- before I wrap up the, the show, there, there's one player. Like, I, I've met a lot of players, and I liked a lot of guys. Uh, and really, I, I can count on one hand the number of players in my career that I didn't like be- because everybody is just – they really are great guys. Hockey players are kind of a, a different uh, breed, um, and, and most of them are really great guys. And one of the best guys uh, I know is – is a guy named David Beauregard. David Beauregard would have played in the National Hockey League. He was a draft pick of the San Jose Sharks. He was one of the better skaters and had great hands. He he was just a great goal scorer, but he didn't get to play in the NHL because at the end of his junior career in a playoff game, he lost one of his eyes, and he actually scored a goal on the play. He was coming down the ice, cutting in on goal. Guy tried to hook him to stop him. The stick slid up, caught underneath the visor, basically gouged his eye out. Um, And he continued on, finished the play, scored a goal, and then went down in the corner after the fact. So because he had a glass eye um, after that, under NHL rules, he didn't have appropriate vision to play safely in the National Hockey League, but it did not stop him from having an unbelievable minor league career. Uh, he scored 581 goals in the regular season with one eye. This is post his eye injury. He scored 581 goals plus another 26 in playoff games. So he scored 607 goals with one eye. He played uh, a couple of times in Port Huron. The first time was for the uh, Border Cats, 
towards the end of their run here. Uh, and uh, in 2001-2002, Bo scored 50 goals for the Border Cats, and he did it in dramatic fashion because he had 46 going into the last game of the season, and it was a home game against Muskegon, and he scored four goals in that game, including two in the third period to get to 50 goals. That was just the, the – he, he was always great for the dramatics. He came back to Port Huron after playing a couple of years in Fort Wayne uh, in 04-05 to play for the Beacons. And we had a very bad team the, the final year of the Beacons. They were bad. Uh, and Bo was by far and away our, our best player. And he ended up on a, on a team that there, there really wasn't much around. We, we had two or three other guys who were decent, uh, and everybody else was mediocre or less. <laughs> um, but Bo ended up scoring 47 goals for that team, and, and we actually thought he would dramatically get to, to 50. Uh, but at one point, he broke his leg. And, and he did miss some action. But with a crack in the bone in his leg, he decided, because the team was, was doing poorly and needed a shot in the arm, he decided to play with, with basically a broken leg. And the, the first night that he did it on a broken leg, he got like three breakaways in Richmond, Virginia, and scored two goals, basically with, with a broken leg. So he had one eye and one leg that night, and he still managed to score two goals and help us win a, a hockey game. And, and he played uh, quite a bit when he was hurt. He was a fun guy. He was a viciously good poker player, had a great poker face. Um, if you asked him to, he'd pop his eye out for you and show it to you. <laughs> um, he was just uh, – he, he always smiled, and when I look back at the pictures of him now, he reminds me of the uh, – what, what's what, I don't know what the guy's name is, but he, but he played uh, Dr. House on the TV show House. That's who Bo looks <laughs> – that's what he looks like to me. I don't know why. Just uh, that's, that's what I think of when I see him. Uh, I've got uh, a bazillion uh, stories uh, especially about uh, my minor hockey league uh, career. And, again, uh, a lot of people have said, Stuck, you should write a book. Again, I don't know that I will ever do that, but uh, those are just some stories. Those are the stories that I can tell you because, uh, again, there, there are a lot of stories that uh, can't do on a family <laughs> show about uh, life in uh, minor league uh, hockey and things that I have seen and, uh, and heard. Um, and then throw in all the other stuff that I've seen in high school. I mean, even just this year alone, in our COVID uh, year, I've I've seen some strange things. Uh, and and I think Brady and I will probably do a show during the summer talking about the oddest things we saw during uh, the this. Uh, past uh, school year, but uh, we'll get to that uh, on another broadcast. Brady will be back with me on uh, Monday, uh, and uh, just uh, I hope it wasn't too much to just have to listen to me uh, for one whole podcast uh, today, but uh, I'm going to wrap things up here. You have yourselves a a great weekend, and who knows, maybe someday I will write a book. Um, We'll see. From Port Huron to Marysville and St. Clair to Marine City, the Blue Water Area is Stuck 
on sports.